All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Ecclesiastes 1 Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. And my name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, I hope you all uh, enjoyed last week's episode, if you're returning listeners. And if you are a newcomer, welcome. Please feel free to uh, go through the back catalog of the episodes. Um, I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, nothing major to report this week in terms of feedback or uh, criticism or anything like that. So let's go ahead and dive into what might be our next to last episode this season. Uh, certainly one of our last uh, last. Uh, three, uh, three or four at the most. Um, now, this week uh, we will finish off talking about the humans of uh, northern South America, and then we will be talking about the astounding Amazon River, its tributaries, and what we know about the peoples populating uh, one of those many shores, or, you know, I should say, uh, yeah, the the uh, whatever shores they're occupying, we'll, we'll be able. We'll try to talk about as much of them as we can. Um, though, depending on how long this goes, I may only give a brief breakdown of the Amazon itself, uh, and then we'll talk about the peoples next week. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and start with the Guyanas or Las Guyanas or uh, Guyana. No, wait. Sorry, my Spanish is not very good. Las Guayanas uh, is the region. Um, And this region covers a small portion of uh, modern-day Brazil, a few Venezuelan states, and the modern countries of Guyana, Suriname, and French Guyana. Which is technically a French dependency, but uh, you you get what I mean. And it is a little ironic that I'm covering this region this week. Um, I will not be talking about Venezuela's claims on Guyanan territory. Um, the basis for these claims and what is driving the latest push is not something uh, that we will be getting into uh, until much, much later. Uh, instead, I'm just going to talk about uh, uh, you know <laughs> much older uh, outcome or I guess much older um, realities of the region. Now, the origin of the term Guyana is somewhat debated. It was loaned into Spanish and then got transmitted into Portuguese, French, English, and uh, Dutch. Um, The debate into which language the Spanish adopted it from is the primary, I guess, uh, point of contention. Um, Excuse me. There are two options. Either it is from an Arawak language or a Caravan language. Uh, Despite being from different language families, a number of groups from both um, language families uh, have interacted with each other for so long that they have a fair amount of overlap in a number of features, including vocabulary. Um, This means that, you know, there is reasonable doubt as to which group coined the term first? 
uh, and um, the term means land of many waters. And it is an accurate description, but there is much more to the region. Uh, in addition to being home to many waters, it is also home to a number of highlands and a kind of a weathered interior mountain range, or maybe uh, mountain-esque might be a better term, uh, but it is known as a craton is the geo, uh, geologic term for that kind of um, mountain makeup. Um, as a whole, this is known as the Guyana Shield. Uh, and uh, one feature found in this region is called Atepwi. These are very similar to North American mazes. Uh, large, flat-topped mountains, usually isolated. Uh, the term came into Spanish from the Paymon people, and they speak a dialect of Caravan. Uh, it translates as House of the Gods. Now, these mountains and highlands are extremely difficult to cross, and with the surrounding rainforests uh, form like the Darian, uh, Darien Gap, excuse me, uh, see, uh, they kind of form, again, a sieve on the region. Uh, getting through and occupying this region was not easy. And try and try as I might, I could not find any articles on human sites earlier than 11,000 BC. Um, now, part of that is probably due to the climate, finding things. Finding anything older would probably require some luck. As far as I can tell, the region isn't quite as high on the archaeological priority list as some other parts of South America. Uh, and this is mainly due to how sparsely populated the region is. Um, the three primary countries um, that make up the Guyanas, uh, their modern population combined is around... Uh, 1.7 million, give or take a you know 10,000 or so. And even combining the parts of Venezuela and Brazil that are technically part of the region, uh, you don't get uh, more than four and a half million. In fact, you get a little under four and a half million. Um, now, at the time period of our episodes, we see most habitation in modern Suriname, near the uh, Sipawalini, excuse me, Sipawalini River, excuse me. And this is probably an Arawak word uh, that means river of stones. And around this river, not, not in it, but in uh, kind of uh, these flat terrain around the river, uh, they have found around 20 or so sites that were production areas for stone tools that can be dated to around 8,000 BC. And these sites show uh, four different types of weapon points, two larger ones that were larger spear points, and two smaller points that were probably for uh, an arrows or, you know, like throwing javelins. Um, the larger points were probably used for hunting large animals, things like deer, or maybe even, like uh, that theory suggested last week in uh, Venezuela and Colombia, that there may have even been remaining uh, megafauna in the region at this time. 
Uh, there have been some bones that have not been able to be identified, and they, they could be from larger animals. And of course, the smaller heads are for smaller animals. Uh, they are also home to, you know, hammering tools, scrapers, um, you know, kind of knives, etc. And of course, you find your, your waste stones uh, and failed attempt uh, stones uh, just for tools that did not end up coming out the way they wanted to. Excuse me. Now, it should be noted that these sites were found away from where the humans making them were living day to day. Uh, these locations tended to be uh, kind of up in the uh, highlands and hills and kind of in rock shelters. Not caves, but rock shelters. And in these rock shelters, they've actually found petroglyph carvings um, in these, you know, in these dwelling sites. Uh, but these cannot be reliably dated to the same uh, humans that were making these stone tools because pottery shards have been found in these caves and pottery didn't appear in this region, of course, until much later. Uh, so that shows that, um, you know, the mobile hunter-gatherer lifestyle remains active in this region even after you see groups adopt uh, semi-sedentary agriculture, full-scale, like permanent agriculture, um, adopt a more uh, aquatic lifestyle as well, fishing, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, they're, they're continuing a tradition, uh, the, the hunter-gatherers. So um, that is one of the hallmarks of this region. You have all these different groups living these different types of lifestyles, all interacting with each other. Uh, never in huge numbers, but, you know, uh, in terms of variety of life, it's it's pretty high up there. Um, now, uh, another group that exists during this season is known as the Alaka. Now, they're located further west in modern Guyana. However, they are just beginning to establish themselves uh, as a distinct kind of a tool culture. And uh, their earliest artifacts are dated right at 6000 BC, right as our season's ending. So we probably won't go into them too much here. Um, but that being said, I will go ahead and say that they're, um, that they are adapting more Neolithic uh, tool sets, the smaller uh, bladelets, the micro bladelets, and they are much more active fishing uh, in terms of fishing and also eating shellfish uh, than the groups that um, uh, exist in Suriname. Uh, there's no evidence of them being uh, fishers or um, uh, making nearly as many micro bladelets. This is something that uh, the groups in Guyana may have to undertake, but the the groups at least uh, where we're referring to uh, in Sipaliwini, um, they're a little they're a little bit behind in terms of having to create uh, the microblade uh, Neolithic tool set, and that makes sense. Uh, remember, it's kind of spreading out uh, from the Andes in this region. Uh, as the environment changes, and of course the Alaka uh, 
exist 2,000 years after uh, the Sipalawini begin. Um, so it would make sense that they're, you know, 2,000 years is plenty of time to adopt to this new new kind of toolkit. Uh, now, the Alaka will exist into next season. And I think um, I think the Sipalawini, they end around 7,000. So not a huge time period, but we know that they're, at least they're, uh, their uh, residences, I guess, for lack of a better term, are still in use. It's just they're replaced in terms of, um, at least in tool culture, uh, very fairly quickly. Um, now, aside from a few more kind of scattered uh, singular sites, there is no other evidence of long-term Homo sapiens sa- uh, habitation of this region. Those two groups are pretty much it, at least in terms of long-term, uh, you know, uh, resonance. I'm sure that there were probably isolated groups that would occasionally enter into the region at earlier time periods, um, but they probably would leave, you know, sooner after, um, or at least maybe groups following them in were in such greater numbers that they just got completely assimilated or or eliminated, depending on what uh, the case may be. Now, as for who these people are, uh, they're probably all descendants of people who had crossed the Andes via, you know, the numerous mountain valleys and rivers, and then spread into the interior of the uh, continent, and then followed um, other rivers north. Uh, past the Guyana Shield. Uh, of course, finding remains and DNA to identify the exact relationship between these various groups um, and the order at which people entered the region at which time uh, has been extremely difficult because, um, again, they, they can't find any DNA dating back to that time because of the environment uh, that we're dealing with. So, a lot of assumptions have been made about all this, and I am doing it myself. Um, I doubt they're having much interaction with groups coming down from Central America and the kind of the Atlantic migration route that we know was opening up. Um, And this is probably happening uh, in the Colombia and Venezuelan region at this point in time. Um, In fact, due to to the terrain, you know, agriculture and more migration into the region won't happen at a large scale until much later uh, than in other parts of South America. But eventually it does come to the region. Uh, I imagine that the um, the time it took for the the kind of Central American, uh, Central American migrants to get a foothold uh, either through you know, trade or intermarriage or war or whatever uh, from the groups um, in the Colombia, Venezuela regions uh, probably took a little bit of time. Uh, hence why uh, they wouldn't have attempted to move through that kind of that rocky hilllands into the Guyanas. Um, but again, part of that's an assumption on my part. Um Now, um, 
excuse me, uh, we can go ahead and move and start talking about uh, the Amazon River and the uh, Amazon River Basin. Uh, we'll start with uh, the Amazon's name. Uh, you are probably familiar with the origin of the term Amazon, or at least uh, where it's most popularly known from. Of course, Greek myth uh, talks about the you know, the female warrior society, the Amazons. Um, and that was not the initial name for the river. Uh, initially, uh, the Spanish referred to the river as the Marañón River. Uh, and the, this is actually kind of the headwaters of the Amazon. Um, and this begins in Peru. Uh, it's one of the, the many rivers that kind of throw, th flow through the Andes and meet up to form the Amazon. Um, and as for what it means, this is uh, pretty highly debated, but uh, people, some people believe that it is also possibly uh, a an old Tupian word, uh, which meant something like running sea. Um, though again, that is debated. Um, we're, we're really not sure. Um, now I think they've since discovered that the Marignan is not the technical source of the Amazon. There are two other rivers that, um, uh, I guess have, have basically been the, the furthest away sources that feed into the um, into the river, but um, those have only been you know kind of confirmed in like the late 2010s, I believe. Uh, that was that was always kind of debated. Uh, I think they actually did like a full scientific study and measured everything out. Uh, so technically, the Marignan is not the headwater of the. Uh, Amazon, but it is, I think it is still like the strongest of those early rivers that, um, that areas into it. it. It gives more water, even if it doesn't run the farthest to meet it. Um, but, uh, that is, uh, that is the, at least the current scientific, um, consensus. Um, now to move on, uh, let me look at my notes here. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I forgot to go into the detail of how the um, Amazon River was called the Amazon. Um, uh, as I said, initially it was called the Marignan. However, um, one of the um, early explorers uh, along the river, um, it's Francisco, uh, I believe it's Day. Francisco de Oriana, I, I didn't write his name down in my notes because I'm an idiot, um, but he uh, allegedly encountered a band of um, warriors who attacked his expedition, uh, and these warriors were led by a woman. Um, so he, you know, of course, being a product of the uh, Renaissance that, uh, you know, was going on, you know, during that time period, or at least... Um, had affected that time period if it if you know depending on if you consider it ended at that point or not um uh but he being you know familiar with greek mythology thought warrior women uh 
this very much is you know in line with the Amazon. So he, he called it the Amazon River. Uh, and that name, of course, because it's dramatic and romantic and pop, you know, uh, popular, popular, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, exciting. Uh, you know, it made a lot of sense uh, to uh, refer to it that way. And it, again, it was very popular and caught on. Sorry, I just had a flicker of my apartment's power here. Uh, I'm surprised that this is still recording. Uh, so apologies for that. Uh, now, in terms of uh, population, um, there were probably quite a number of groups spread all along the um, the Amazon and all of its constituent rivers. Uh, I'm not going to quite go into the detail of these as I did uh, with the Mississippi. Um, this is something you'll probably it, just quite frankly, uh, there are too many to cover uh, unless I wanted to devote an entire episode. And I may still do that. However, um, it probably won't happen until later when we have, again, more a lot more groups to go over and go into detail on. Uh, now, uh, in terms of uh, groups that, or at least regions of the river that we have the most information about, uh, we have a few uh, along uh, the Amazon, and it's, uh, as I said, it's constituent rivers. And probably among the most interesting of these is the uh, Llanos de Mojas, or Llanos de Moxos, depending on, uh, I guess, the, the paper you're reading, because uh, both are used kind of in, interchangeably. Um, these people are, were located in what is now uh, modern-day uh, Bolivia. Uh, they are kind of at the um, some rivers that are uh, kind of running north down the mountains uh, and kind of meet in the Amazon basin there. Um, you'll sometimes see this place referred to as the Casarabe culture. Um, and these, uh, these, this group will uh, kind of be um, one of the earlier adopters of um, agriculture. Uh, in this region. Um, now, there's kind of like a really big kind of shift in archaeological understanding of the Amazons uh, or the Amazon uh, River and the Amazon rainforest going on right now. Uh, there are some very, very big, I guess, kind of shifts uh, in, you know, archaeological discoveries in the area and how people kind of um, understand them. Uh, for the longest time, it was thought that the Amazon interior and the rainforest uh, was not very highly populated um, because the soil there is such bad quality that you know it makes large-scale agriculture impossible. Um, recently, though, that has kind of come around and been very much challenged and kind of overturned, at least among experts in the field. Excuse me. Um... Um, you can read a book by Eduardo Neves. Um, it is um, it is called. Um, forgive me, I don't have the title in front of me. I got to go back through my notes here. Uh, well, I say you can read it if you can read Portuguese. Yes, you can. You can read it. Um, 
but uh, he kind of summarizes a lot of different um, groups or, or you know scientists that have kind of you know been examining the area. In fact, you probably saw some um, news articles that are like you know breaking news headlines if you kind of browse anywhere online. Uh, you've probably seen that you know they've discovered you know with lidar these huge cities and they're you know monumental like stuff and that um you know that this completely overwrites history and it does uh, there there's no denying that because again it, it's completely turned our understanding of the region on its head um but yeah is in some cases it's a little bit overstated because obviously that there are those that you know uh we talked about uh how there are certain like ancient high technology people and uh, you know ancient aliens, you know they kind of spread agriculture and there's this lost civilization. And the, again, I'm a firm belief that there absolutely are lost civilizations. I just don't think that they got their technology from you know space aliens or you know like psychic humans, uh, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, no, there there is absolutely been lost civilizations, and this is probably. Or at least this region is probably home to a couple. Um, but we'll talk about that. Oh, and the um, uh, the title uh, of Eduardo Nevis's book is uh, It's Under the Times of the Equinox, 8,000 Years of History in Central Amazon. Uh, it is not translated into English just yet, although I, I do believe it is being worked on, at least uh, according to the articles I read. Um the Brazil, uh, Portuguese title is Sub os Tempos de Equinocia, uh, Oito Mil Anos de Historia na Amazonia Central. Uh, and I do apologize for any of my Portuguese speaking listeners. Uh, <laughs> I know that there are at least a couple uh, who at least understand a little bit of Portuguese. Uh, um, but, um, yes, yeah, so that's, uh, that is the title of the book. Um, and it kind of summarizes again some of the bigger uh, discoveries that have happened in the last uh, last twenty years or so, uh, talking about groups in the Amazon. Uh, but as you can probably guess from the title, uh, that these these kind of um, centralized or at least more sedentary groups don't start showing up until the very end of our season. Um, but what they are starting to do, uh, they are actually, through their efforts, um, because the soil uh, is so difficult to uh, raise crops in, um, they do, uh, it required a lot of work, essentially, to be able to uh, make sure that everything is growing there. Uh, and this is a process that they've probably started to learn, uh, probably at least a 500 years before the end of this season um we can see that there's um they're probably helping to expand uh, a lot of the nut and fruit trees uh in the region uh, along with the introduction to um agriculture you know maize coming down from the south uh, uh cassava is another uh, crop that would be uh grown uh by these groups uh, so yeah, there there are a number of groups that will become um, agriculturalists, and uh, they will, of course, 
be interacting with the more traditional hunter-gatherer groups that are still kind of hanging around uh, in the Amazon uh, basin. Of course, it should come as no surprise that uh, fishing and, um, you know, harvesting of other, you know, aquatic uh, life is also a very important part of the diets of not just uh, hunter-gatherers, but also, again, these early agricultural adopters as well. Uh, so this region is, is undergoing, you know, fairly, you know, fairly... Um, big changes um, a little bit after uh, the changes happening in the uh, in the Andes proper excuse me um, and again this shouldn't be too much of a surprise um, I think the most or the more interesting questions for a lot of this is going to be um, and you know some of this stuff I'm sure we'll get answers on um, as I've said, that this is kind of like a recently kind of taken off in a big way in terms of how, you know, um, how uh, we're, we're studying and learning about the region. Um, there's a lot of work, of course, that still needs to be done, but um, it is something that is going to be happening more and more, I think, um, I think I've saw like three or four different groups um, of professors and researchers are all getting ready to kind of dive in to uh, the various parts of um, the Amazons. Uh, I think there is an American team that's going to do like the Zingu River. Um, uh, Nevis is, uh, he's been working at a site in uh, Brazil for a number of years and he's going to continue to work there and then I think he said he wanted to go to some of these other uh, more interior places too. Of course the Amazon being the Amazon it's not something that's easy just to dive into so uh, there does have to be a lot of precautions done so uh, this is something that's going to take uh, decades to really even get you know more information on because again we we found a lot of this evidence for this kind of stuff uh, through LIDAR. So planes flying over the region, taking uh, those infrared pictures and, you know, seeing what you can find that way. And that's, you know, they, they, they've flown over a fair portion of uh, the region uh, to get those pictures. But, um, yeah, this is not something that we're going to be able to get a lot of information from uh, for some time, unfortunately. Uh, that said, because we know that, or we, we're beginning to understand that um, agriculture entered into this region, we, we know how it entered into the region. We know it's coming from kind of the western Amazon uh, part of um, the, uh, the Amazon basin, the western parts. We know it's coming from places like Ecuador and Peru. Uh, so we know that they would have had to been using um, some of the rivers uh, in that region for transport. Because once you get through those cliffs, like getting, you have to basically get to a part where you can get on the river and then go down the river. Because going through uh, those those rocky areas is just impossible. Um, so we know uh, some of the rivers that would have been important, and we can also tell because, again, we have the 
fight's over, we know where some of these locations are and what rivers they're closest to. Um, some of the more important ones are the uh, Napa River, uh, the Putumayo, uh, the Maranyan, again, we've already talked about that, uh, Hualaga, uh, Ukayali, uh, the Urua, and Puros, as well as one known as the Madre de Dios. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there, there are a number of sites positioned where trade between the Andean cultures or proto-cultures are, you know, um, where they're, they're situated in perfect position to be kind of these, um, the first point of contact from these groups in the Andes and then being kind of the intermediaries between, you know, uh, groups further inland. Uh, now, are these groups further in, inland related to the um, these early sedentary societies in the Amazons, or are they rivals? Are they uh, completely unrelated and just you know very beneficial trade partners? Unfortunately, we cannot say. Um, because again, we just don't have the hard evidence or any DNA evidence to really kind of dive into this. Uh, we have some linguistic stuff, but uh, linguistics, again, can be kind of hit or miss. Uh, and um, the way the linguistic maps are kind of spread for South America um, kind of makes it a little hard. And of course, we there are dead languages that we know have died out. Um, you know, are somewhat attested, so we're not sure um, what where those dead languages would fit into, uh, I guess, the larger language um, language families. Uh, some sites, I guess, further kind of the uh, the middle uh, section of the Amazon, um, we have uh, uh, the Abrigo de, or I'm sorry, Abrigo do Sol. Uh, which is in uh, Mato Grasso. Uh, it is dated to around um, uh, 8,700 BC, and it will continue to be in use to about uh, 4,500 BC. And these are these. This is a completely a ceramic culture. They don't have any kind of uh, pottery, which uh, other places, at least towards the later bit of that range, do adopt pottery. Um, so it appears for whatever reason, um, pottery was not being traded, uh, this far inland, uh, which again, for this season, pottery is probably very rare, uh, in the Americas. I think, uh, maybe only one or two places are using it at our time period. And even then that, that evidence is kind of, um, spotty, uh, but, uh, it does show that there are certain products and things that are not being traded as opposed to um, you know, crops and foodstuffs uh, and I'm sure you know precious stones and that kind of thing are being uh, traded. Uh, another site um, in this region is uh, uh, Gruta de Gavial uh, and that is dated to about uh, 7,100 is when it starts and this site will be uh, occupied for quite a while. Uh, it's well, uh, it's well past a uh, thousand, 
uh, BC before it is abandoned. So we see a lot of sites that have long-term use. Now, not all of them are agricultural sites. In fact, many of these, at least in the middle Amazon uh, area, are more hunter-gatherer based. But that's not to say that, again, they didn't have contact with agricultural groups or that they were themselves not practicing at least small-scale agriculture, maybe even horticulture, that kind of level of stuff. Um, But it does show that, um, you know, that there is some... uh, there is some kind of disconnect between these groups that they're not all adopting everything uh, piecemeal or spreading everything piecemeal. Um, there are uh, there's one other site in the middle Amazon. It's on the uh, Jamari River, uh, and that is dated to between I believe. Uh, 7,500 and 5,700 BC. Uh, and in fact, there are, there are actually a couple of sites along that river um, that can be dated to that period. Um, I think uh, four. Um, and there is evidence of ceramics at the later phase, which is again is next uh, is next season uh, when that would show up. So. There's, again, there's trade, there's interactions, but there is an unevenness uh, between this trade. What that can mean, what the cause between the uneven trade is, is almost impossible to say, just based on what we know right now. Um, but yeah, so um, I know that I'm not able to give too much information on those... Um, on those sites other than their dates uh, again that's partly because the the information I was able to get is from a very long document it's over um, it's over uh, 300 pages um, uh, there's a great PDF it's from Lund University it's nature and culture in prehistoric Amazonia using GIS to reconstruct ancient ethnogenetic processes from archaeology, linguistics, geography, and ethnohistory. Um, and I will continue to use this because, again, it's great. Um, it's, uh, I think the author is Love Erickson, is the name of the, uh, the uh, primary author. Um, and it was published in, I believe, 2000 and 11 so this is just the early lidar stuff and i think most of the dates are um given are just from kind of like exploratory stuff so i'm sure that there are revisions to this that i just cannot access yet because i just haven't been able to find them um i also had an article um from uh, manga bay which is where I was able to get the Eduardo Nevis uh, information uh, and title of his book, and he had some really good quotes and stuff. Um, and that was done in uh, May 3rd of this year. Uh, so I do recommend, uh, if you are interested in getting all the nitty-gritty details, to use those sources. Now, um, we will talk about some of the uh, Southern Southern Amazonian, excuse me, uh, sites. Um, 
and hopefully I can try to find some more information on what is found at these sites. Again, they didn't go into too much detail, but I think that's because they haven't been able to really dig into these sites as much as they would want to and as much as I would have liked them to, to so I could convey that information to you. But I think it's important to remember these points in the Amazon, and this is something that we're going to come back to, obviously, in the future. Um, very long-lasting sites for the most part. Constant levels of contact with your neighbors, um, but it's an unequal level of contact from their neighbors, at least in terms of uh, what artifacts are in demand or are actually being traded. Uh, also, uh, there is a surprisingly high level of human impact on the environment, uh, and that's only going to pick up, and not in the way I think most of us would expect. Uh, generally, when we think of sedentary agricultural societies, we think they tend to be a little bit more wasteful or at least a little bit more um, more destructive than they are constructive at least in terms when it at least when it comes in terms of nature um, but that's something to think about for next time um, so next week we will be diving into again some of the southern Amazonian stuff and then um, we will also um, be going into what is now Patagonia, uh, Southern Argentina, and Chile, and that kind of stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I hope you'll be back for that. Um, if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to me at war at revpod at gmail.com, or you can also uh, comment on any of my YouTube videos. I will get it, though it may take a day or two for me to be able to actually read them. Um, and you can also direct message me on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed, and I hope I haven't confused you too much with this just random dates and stuff. Again, I would have loved to have been able to get you know more solid information. Unfortunately, it just doesn't exist, at least in English. It's possible it could exist in Portuguese. I don't know, um, but I do hope uh, that uh, Eduardo Nevis's book uh, is translated sooner rather than later into English so I can listen to it. Uh, because, again, it is a 6,000-year history. Um, so, uh, or I'm sorry, an 8,000-year history. Um, so that's right at the end of this, uh, this season, and it goes forward, of course, into the modern times. So I look forward to talking about, or at least being able to mention some other sites. And then uh, in the future, when we get back to it, when we get into time frames, we... We know a little bit more about them. I'll go into more detail on where these sites are located into uh, uh, where these sites are located in relation to each other, and where you know it might be easier for us to understand where they are. Because uh, me pulling up Google Maps, it was a little bit of a little bit of a trick, tricky situation to find a couple of those places I mentioned. Uh, but uh, when I just say when I say Western, it's like right on the border between. Uh, Brazil, Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru. Uh, when I say central, uh, that can go from, of course, the middle of Brazil, but it can also go all the way south again to, um, or all the way north again to Colombia, Venezuela, uh, the Guyanas, or uh, as far south as, uh, I believe, the uh, 
Paraguay uh, Brazilian border, Uruguay Brazilian border, that kind of stuff. And when I talk about south, it's going to be more towards the coast and uh, that kind of thing. So, but uh, yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed. Um, I hope I wasn't too confusing. If I am, please let me know, and I'll try to explain things a little bit better. Um, very busy week behind me. Very busy week ahead. Uh, yeah, holiday season, all that kind of stuff is very busy. So, uh, thank you all for joining me, and I will see you all next time. Thank you. Have a, I hope you have a good rest of your day and good rest of your week. Thank you. Goodbye.